Hey everybody, Steve here from Boosting Your Financial IQ. Welcome to another episode. Today I have Tevia Holst. She's the CEO, founder, visionary, owner. She wears multiple hats, as you know, running her own business. It's called Dakota Accounting. And I'm excited to have her on the show because she's going to bring an interesting perspective to the conversation. And we have a lot to talk about, especially because I'm always saying, hey, make sure you understand the story behind the numbers. And this is right up Tevye's alley. And I'm just, I'm excited to have her on. So welcome. Thank you, Steve. I'm glad to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself. I'm, I'm always curious about how people end up where they are today. And I know like my past and my path has been like really messy and definitely not linear. So tell me just briefly about your journey and you know, have you always been interested in accounting? Have you been like an accounting person, a, a numbers nerd from uh, the get-go, or is this something that changed over time? And, and tell me a little bit about your path. Yeah, I'm probably similar to you. I definitely had kind of a curvy, you know, history and and tried several different things. I would say that it's always been in that realm. My background through college, you know, was international business and finance, at which you have to take, you know, obviously quite a bit of accounting as well. And being international business, I was much more on the analytics side and a large, you know, world scope of things. So that's kind of where I started. I worked in banking and got to see, you know, that world and how that worked. And then through college and and first outside of college, did some work with small business and just really loved the passion, really loved the relationship that comes with that. And then I did a five-year stint in corporate and did a lot of analytics there and really saw, you know, the good and the bad side of corporate. So that quick history and, and, you know, twists and turns kind of took me to where I am today, which was when I left corporate, my goal actually had nothing to do with a specific industry. I have the same story as many where it was an, an incredibly poor corporate culture And I told my husband, you know, I have to create a space for people to be where they feel important. They feel heard. It's a very healthy place to be. And then the second question was, you know, what are, what's my skills and what can I do that someone might pay me before I can add a team? And so that's how Mm -hmm. it all started. And now we're up to, you know, a team of 10 and, and just ongoing from there. So we'll see where we get. No, and that's great. And I, I think there's like so much value in what you provide your clients. And, you know, before this recording, you and I talked about accounting and like how you view it and how it's it's so much more than just recording transactions into a ledger and producing financial reports. I mean, you go much further beyond this to help your clients to really understand what's going on in their business. And that's what I love. And that's why I'm excited to jump into in today's episode. Yes. I I love the big picture. I love getting the analytics right. That's really my favorite part to help, you know, help them best utilize their company financials. Absolutely. So, you know, I spent my whole career growing and turning around companies. So when I go into an organization and I ask for their financial statements, really the way I look at financials, it's like a sheet of music, right? So if you gave me a sheet of music just a normal sheet of music, I just see a bunch of notes and I'd be like, what the heck is this? I wouldn't be able to read it. But with financials, you know, I can understand the song, the story, the rhythm, all the things behind 
those individual notes. And I, I think that's extremely helpful. So when I'm getting financials from clients, oftentimes I notice that their financials are organized or structured in a manner that makes it really hard to really unravel the story that's being told through these financial statements. So I wanted to start off with that. And that's really what I want to dive into today. And have you seen the same thing in your practice? And um, what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, it is much more often that we, when we're doing the same, when I'm reviewing financials for a potential client, you know, it's organized in such a way where they're, it's really not organized. You know, they're not using it. They don't know the analytics available to them. It does not have to be an intimidating thing. I would say there's maybe three to five that could be your most important if you're organized properly that you can run a really tight profitable ship on. And Mm -hmm. we see that all the time where it just comes in and they're not really utilizing anything but the top and bottom line, which we know, like you talked about the song and the rhythm, there is much more story to happen and an ability to make decisions if you are organized in a more thoughtful manner. Exactly. So let's talk about how companies could go about organizing financials and this is the first step. And I, I remember like when I was first starting out in college and it was like one of my first few accounting classes. And remember, I, I didn't have an accounting background and I as a business owner when I was going through school, but I, I didn't really understand accounting. I just decided it'd be a, a good you know path to take in school. So I remember sitting in class and they're talking about general ledgers and chart of accounts and sub ledgers and all these things. And I was like, what the heck are they talking about? So maybe you can explain, like, what's the difference between a general ledger and accounting and the chart of accounts, or is it the same thing? Yeah, so it is one and the same. Your general ledger is essentially a list of all of the categories that you might use. And your chart of accounts is kind of just a different view of that list. And the chart of accounts, of course, is where the population comes from for the different financial reports. It kind of gets divided up into, uh, as you know, revenue or expenses are on the income statement. And then you've got your assets, liabilities, and equity on the balance sheet uh, among your cash flow as a kind of a view of several of both. So with the accounts, are there are certain guidelines when setting up accounts, like do you have to follow IRS standards and you have to have these specific 10 accounts in cost of goods sold or these five accounts in your operating expenses, or do you have flexibility to organize your financial statements however you want to a point, right? I mean, obviously you got to report on revenue, cost of goods sold and expenses, but how much flexibility do companies have and how do they figure out what categories to start with and, and so on and so forth? Yeah. So when we're specifically talking about cost of goods sold or in some industries, cost of services versus expense, um, it's really interesting because the language in gap financials, which is the generally accepted accounting principles, is actually very limited. And what that does is it opens it up for quite a bit of interpretation. Um, So what they do reference is that cost of goods has to do with inventory, you know, taking your beginning from the year to your plus your purchases minus your ending inventory. And that ending number very specifically is stated as a cost of goods sold. But outside Mm -hmm. of that, there is effectively no guideline. And that opens up to so much interpretation 
that you'll see a wide array of how cost of goods sold are used throughout not only different companies, but specifically across industries. And it is incredibly important to dial that in because there's many analytics that you can, what we can touch on later that, you know, you can pull from that to help you make smart choices. So not a lot of guideline, but but definitely, you know, some specific things, you know, that do make sense for cost of goods sold versus expenses. No, and I, and I think that's great. And for you listeners, if, if you have never really looked at an income statement or you don't feel comfortable with the income statement or balance sheet or saving the cash flows, go to the podcast. The very first few episodes that I did, I, I did an episode on each of these financial statements. I even sang a song, which you can get a good chuckle out of. When it comes to the, the income statement, let's get into that. So you have revenue, cost of goods sold or cost of revenue or cost of service, like you're mentioning. And then you have OPEX, which is operating expense, GNA, fixed expenses, all those, they're all synonymous, right? So overhead, GNA, yes. fixed expenses, OPEX, that's all the same terminology. And so really there's three categories, revenue, cost of goods sold, OPEX, and then you end up with profit. And I'm simplifying it because there's like other income, other expense. But if we just stick with those three categories, here's what I find. And I, I want to get your perspective on this as well. The biggest mistake that companies make is up in cost of goods sold and in OPEX. And what I mean by that is, you know, really with your gross margin, which is revenue minus your cost of goods sold, that gross margin is really an indicator telling you how effective you are at producing products and delivering products or services to the end user, to the customer. Mm-hmm. So up in cost of goods sold, you have your you know, your materials, you have your direct labor, you have your subcontractors, you have anything directly related to delivering whatever product or service you sell. And I don't mean delivering like driving in a truck and dropping off, you know, a product at somebody's house. I mean, like whether you're scooping ice cream and you're handing the ice cream cone to that person, or you're creating software and you're delivering, you know, a developed SaaS model product for that end user, whatever it is. What I find is that a lot of people will put like labor, for example, down in operating expense, all their labor, and they don't mm-hmm. break it out because it's kind of a pain, you know, especially when you're a small company, it's like break that out and have a system for that. Or they'll have other things like mismatched in the different categories, like some things that are really overheaded or up in cost of goods sold, things that should be part of cost of goods sold are down in overhead. And it's really difficult to understand, is the company really making money off delivering their products and services to their end user? So what are your thoughts on that? And and what's your experience? Yeah, so how we handle it to make it very simple, very high level to help the owners, you know, determine what it is and what it isn't that goes into COGS is I really break it down to, and you used a lot of the verbiage, so I'm going to repeat, but is indirect and direct. And just Mm -hmm. like to what you said, there is an argument for some fringe things that you might not have considered, but you really think about it as if I don't have a single sale, if I don't have a service to provide, nobody's asking for my services, I don't have a product going out the door, you know, nothing's coming through as an order, what goes away? What do I not need, you know, or, or on the flip side, the more positive side, (laughs) if a lot of requests is coming in, what do I have to add? 
to be able to provide that service versus on, like you mentioned, the OPEX side, which is just other indirect expenses. You know, what is down below, what is kind of static, what is going to maybe marginally increase if you're, say, using more utilities in your warehouse or whatnot. So it would be indirect and direct and having that thoughtful discussion. But also, I really like where you were going to overhead is incredibly important because there is actually one train of thought, I guess, is there is indirect and direct specific to overhead, not just costs and labor. Meaning, Mm -hmm. You know, you might have a general expense such as insurance or your, like I mentioned, your utilities. However, it might be, say, you have some machinery that is very specific to your sale, you know, and, and creates that direct expense that you're going to put in cost of goods sold. You might have an additional, say, software or even a commission out to a salesperson or a contractor, uh, specific parts that does create the argument of even direct overhead. So there are things that depending on how tight you want to get on what it is it takes for you to produce your product or service out the door, you know, that you can put up in there. So those are where we really dial in and and try to have people think about that. Let's take a quick break. All right, I have to interrupt the show, but I'll be super quick. I have a question for you. Who are you working for? Chances are you're working for everyone else besides yourself. Think about it. You're working for shareholders by grinding away in someone else's company. You're working for a bank by paying interest. You're working for the government by paying taxes. You're working for social media companies by giving your attention to their paid advertisers. You're working for your friends by doing crap that you don't want to do. You're working for everyone else by not pursuing the most essential things you are destined to achieve. Look, I've been there. I'm still there at times. Ugh, it could be so frustrating. If you want to achieve financial freedom, the fastest way to do it is through business. Don't get tricked by get-rich-quick schemes. Don't be fooled that your 401k is going to build you wealth. Don't waste time by trying to piece business finance together. Check this out. Here's my invitation. Go to byfiq.com, which stands for Boosting Your Financial IQ, Com and check out our programs. We have one for every possible path you're on. Whether your goal is to become fluent in business finance, launch a profitable business, or scale a business successfully, we have a solution to help you. I promise you, your life will change when you take action. So check out these opportunities that I've prepared for you. Now back to the show. No, and I, and I think that's so critical, and I think you're spot on. And, and I love how you explain it just in a much more simpler way. But I think it's true. And, and the reason why it's so important for the listeners out there is that like, if you, like, let's just say you have things in your overhead that are really cost of goods sold, COGS, we call them COGS. Then what that does, like if you're trying to figure out your break even on revenue, you basically are taking your overhead expense, your OPEX, and you're dividing that by your gross margin. So if you don't have them in the right buckets, then you can't even compute your break even revenue. And that, I mean, that's just a minor thing there, but really what you're trying to see is like, okay, are we making money off our products and services? Like our core business, exclude overhead for a minute, but can you make a margin up top before overhead? And if you don't have things in the right bucket, you're going to have a skewed picture of the overall company, which impacts your pricing strategy, which, which impacts so many parts of the business from like an efficiency standpoint and so on and so forth. So when I was CFO, you know, of his fintech company, 
you know, we spend a ton of money, millions of dollars a year on software development. And those software development salaries were down in our GNA. We're down in OpEx. And really that development labor, that software development labor is was a, a cost of delivering that product and service to the end user. Now there's a lot of nuances there as far as capitalization of software costs that we won't get into on this episode. But the point is, is that all the costs associated with delivering that product or service, the direct costs, need to be up above. Otherwise, you're going to have a skewed picture of your financial performance. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and a great example to further that just for the visual is there's a lot of back and forth in the service industry, you know, which is where we would fall and and like you as well. We use that exact idea. It's called the analytic that you can pull from that is called your direct labor efficiency ratio. It is such an incredible tool to know what your ratio is, what it should be, and watch how when you have your cost of goods sold with that direct labor included, which is how we do our PL, our direct staff, say, does bookkeeping for a company, payroll services, whatnot, they are up above that, you know, profitability gross margin line. Okay. And I can watch that ratio and without even knowing more information, that one analytic will tell me, do I have room or do I need to add another employee? Do I need to do raises? Do I have room for bonuses? Like that one specific thing gives me so much power. Or if I don't have room in that ratio, I know immediately that I have to go look at a different factor to pull some levers. So it's, it's incredible power and control over what you can be doing with your business and where your options are. I I absolutely agree. And that's why getting the structure right, as you know, is like so critical because if you don't have that structure right, it's hard to untangle that. And what you want to be able to do is pull your financials really quickly, look at it, read that sheet of music that I referred to, and to be able to go act. And, and that's really what this episode's about is, you know, we're just talking about like what story is your accounting telling you? Like, it's not about reading financials or getting financials to file away in some file cabinet, but it's to get the financials and say, okay, here are three things that I can go do, or here are two things that I'm going to go pass along to this manager, or here's the handful of items I'm going to go work on with the front line in order to drive greater value. So it's getting the numbers and then acting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and I think di- dialing it down to actionable items, you know, where you're not mm-hmm. having to take an hour every day or every week where you can, you know, boom, 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 I've got my few things and you can really feel comfortable or know, know if you need to take some action. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Timeliness, that, that's key. So the other piece on the financial, so going back to cost of goods sold, COGS and OPEX, the biggest expense item for most companies is going to be labor. And that's going to be your biggest driver that you can influence typically. So a lot of times I work with companies and let's just say they buy materials for whatever they're producing. Well, materials, if you think about it, there's a little bit of flexibility in there where you can make some improvements. Maybe you can negotiate with suppliers. Maybe you can do bulk purchasing and and achieve economies of scale and, and receive some discounting there. But at the end of the day, even with waste and everything else, there, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room there. And if there is maybe what, like one, five, 10%, which 
doesn't really move the needle. But then when it comes to labor, this is where a lot of companies miss out because I was working with a service company once and they had a hundred employees. And each, if you think about it, each employee works 2000 hours a year. So if you just take a hundred employees times 2000 hours, that's 200,000 hours a year that they're buying essentially from these employees. So what that means is that if they didn't have their numbers right, if they didn't understand their true cost, for every dollar they were mispricing their services because they're selling their labor, right? They're bidding their, their products and services to their customers. If they're off by a dollar in their labor calculation, you know, that's 200 grand to the bottom line. I, I like how you mentioned that ratio as far as like labor utilization and, and labor efficiencies where you can make decisions in real time about hiring and prices to charge and staffing and scheduling and all those things. I think that's so critical. And so what are your thoughts on labor and, and what are some common mistakes or traps that you find companies falling into as far as reporting on labor or just the way they look at labor overall? Yeah, I think it would just be too much generalization. You know, we're just like you mentioned before, we just have a total wage number for everyone, you know, direct or indirect altogether, the taxes, you know, the any benefits, any of that is just a general lumping in your OPEX. And I think it is super imperative for really any industry to separate that out, take the time, figure out, you don't have to make it complicated. If an employee is doing 50% or more of their time on direct labor items or indirect, then they go all in that bucket. You don't, you know, you don't get super complicated with it. Split those employees, mm -hmm. make sure that you are tracking that information separately and take the time, you know, it's it's really not a big time spend up front to get the feel for what is your margin on your either product or services. I'll give another example of our industry. We know to the client, to the employee, we know exactly every single month we're on a monthly billing cycle what our margin is per client, what that single employee is doing. We know those numbers. We keep a very tight eye on them. And when you take the time to build that initially, you know, it doesn't take any further time to keep up with that. And you can see it's like glaring red flags, you know, of where your issues are. Or for us, it comes down to at the end of the year or throughout the year, even, you know, has this company grown? Is the volume more on our services? You know, do we need to do a price increase? Because we know very quickly we're out of margin. That can tank your bottom line quickly if you never know that you started with a great margin, but because of different things along the way that came, all of a sudden your margins upside down now. And because you didn't do that work, you have no idea. You know, your bottom line is hurting, but you don't know why. So I think that's your biggest benefit to using something, you know, specific to the direct labor efficiency ratio to make sure that you're on top of those things. I love that. I think that's so smart and so spot on. So let me, let me talk about a, another thing that I often see and get your thoughts on this as well. So building a forecast, okay, so when I used to build forecasts for companies, and let's just say they're an LLC. So as an LLC, remember, if you're an owner of the company, if you own any type of units in the business, then you just take distributions and you don't get W-2 payroll, all right? 
But if you are an LLC taxes and S corp, then you got to run your, your wages through payroll. Same thing. If you're an S corp, you have to pay yourself W2 wages. But when I'm building the forecast, what would happen is the business owner would say, Hey, look, you know, like I, I think industry, in, in industry average profit is 10%. So I'm going to build a forecast based on achieving a 10% profit margin. So they build this forecast and they would miss out on their own salary. They want to include that in there because historically, if they're just pulling financials out of the accounting system, their salary is not in there because they're taking distributions, which shows up on the balance sheet. It's coming out of equity. So they're not accounting for their own salary. Or let's just say they do pay themselves a salary and they're a startup and they can only pay themselves 75 grand a year. Well, in order to replace themselves, maybe they'd have to pay a professional manager $200,000 a year. So when building a forecast or when looking at your numbers, when looking at your cost structure, when looking at your pricing, you need to build in market-based labor rates, including you know, a reasonable salary, what you'd have to pay yourself in order to replace yourself, if that makes sense. Because otherwise, you're looking at the numbers and say, look, hey, I got a budget. We're going to make 10% this year. And then it's like, oh, wow, like I didn't even include my salary or I'm underpaying myself and it's skewing the, the economic reality of the business. So what are your thoughts on that? And um, have you come across that in your practice as well? Oh, absolutely. And and I think it's important enough to say and reiterate because it's actually an IRS guideline. So if you are taxing as an S-corp, there is a guideline that says you must take reasonable pay. The reason they do this is your W-2 wage on the P&L as an S-corp is at a different tax rate than your distribution. So you actually take, you typically take a mix. You'll take reasonable pay on the P&L that is a market wage. And then you do have the right to take additional distributions. So that has to happen. And in an audit, you would have trouble if you were not taking a wage at all, or if you were proven to not be taking a reasonable wage. That is imperative that that is actually not a choice if you go over to S-Corp taxation. And it is a really good place to go because it is more beneficial for you from a tax perspective, but you do want to make sure you're getting that right. You know, no, no audit troubles here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you're exactly right. Cause you can't pay yourself like $50,000 in a W2 salary as an S corp owner or, or a equity holder, and then take distributions of, you know, $200,000 at a lower yeah. tax rate. So it doesn't yes. work that way. And, and I will add to say exactly what you're saying, that in that scenario, you, it would not pass audit if your distributions were higher than the W-2 wage. They, they do have to come in lower. You can check with your you know, tax professional as far as what the ratio should actually be, but it does need to be less on the distribution side. And I, I do think it's an important piece to that as well, that you just want to do it, like you mentioned, because you really want to know the true performance of the company, because that allows you to make real actionable choices. And if you're manipulating the numbers, you know, by not showing a real cost, then you're really just overinflating your, what you're seeing on the bottom line, and it's going to shake out either way. So. I think it is a good example. Like you used, think of yourself, step away. If I was paying someone else in this position, you know, if you're doing even the marketing, if that's a separate seat, you know, if that would take a separate person, you do want to make sure that you have a cost associated in your forecast or in your budget 
for, you know, what would a marketing person cost us when I'm too busy and I need to step away from that because there's going to be a big swing for you. If say the first three years of your you know, business, that was your skill. So you were doing that and you were not recognizing a cost. Well, you're going to have a significant decrease in your profits. If all of a sudden you get too busy, okay, I have to outsource that now. And now you have a line item for this. That's going to look a little bit, you know, interesting if that were reviewed by someone else. Exactly. And and I, I mean, this is a, a real life situation. The re- reason why I brought this up, it's kind of like a a sideline here. And, and just so you know, if you want to learn more about like what we were talking about re- related to like LFEs, S-Corps and how those are structured, I have a, another podcast episode called Understanding Business Entities. So you can check that out. But going back to the the owner, like going back to the owner salary portion of this, what we're talking about, the reason why it's so critical is because I, in my first business, was working so much. I was like, working nonstop and like I was frankly getting burnt out and I wasn't including my true salary, what it should have been the market salary into my pricing. I wasn't considering that. So here I was like pricing jobs, pricing jobs, doing work, and then just like working more, working more. And I wasn't getting paid what I should have got you know, paid because I was starting off my business. I was bootstrapping, I was growing, I was putting every dollar back into the business to accelerate growth. And it wasn't until I realized like, you know what, next year when I build a forecast and when I build my pricing model, I'm going to include a true salary of what it would cost to replace myself. And I'm going to start running my business like that. That's when things started to change. And so anybody who's listening to this, who's a business owner, that's something super important to get right. Because chances are, if you're bootstrapping your business and depending on what phase you're in, if you're growing your business, you're putting a bunch of money back into the company. I know how that is. Trust me, I've been there. And if you're frustrated because you're not getting compensated, like you need to build that salary into the business model. Ultimately, you either need to replace yourself or you need to be compensating yourself enough to at least account for the sacrifices that you're making. So I think that's really important. And I just wanted to put a, put a fine point touch on that. Well, and there's actually a potential balance sheet adjustment there as well within the current year that you're in. And I say that because it's really important to potentially recover later. So say you, you're the starting you know, business and you don't have the revenue to pay a market rate. So you do, you know, say take 30,000 when maybe you should take 60 or 80 or, or whatever your number is. You don't actually just have to lose out on those wages that you would otherwise gain. You you can book wages payable from the balance sheet due from the business to you, the owner. And so you're actually not losing the potential on that wage. You're just delaying it. And when the company is up and running and it's built out and you're making good money, you do have the right as that was your investment, you know, into the company originally, you have the right to then pay that off or, you know, multiple payments or one, however you're doing off to yourself. So it doesn't just have to be a loss right away that you don't have these gains until later on. And I, I like the point that you say about, you know, really making sure it's right too, because if you're arbitrarily showing yourself a higher number at the bottom, because you're not correctly, you know, giving your wage or, or whatever it might be, that is incredibly important because mindset is everything. 
And even if mm -hmm. it's fake or it's arbitrary and you're seeing a healthy number, you're not going to push yourself as hard as you would if you saw real numbers. Maybe you're just breaking even. Maybe you're negative in the first couple of years. That's very typical. If you're seeing those numbers as an entrepreneur with the drive that we have, you are going to go, oh man, I don't want to see that. Like I am going to push so much harder and I'm going to work more mentally to figure out this puzzle than, than if I see an arbitrary incorrect, you know, 20% at the end of the year and I go, oh, this is great. I'm doing so great. And I'm not going to work as hard at that. And that's to your own benefit. No, I love that. And I, no, and then you're like spot on because I've met with people and they brag like, Steve, we're doing pretty well. I mean, look, the bottom line, we, we made $100,000 last year. And I'm like, you're an LLC, tax is a partnership. So your wages aren't even in here. So what would it cost to replace you? And they're like, uh, like 200 grand. Okay, so you're losing 100 grand. You're not making 100 grand, you're tricking yourself. Right. And I think that's really critical. So let, let me ask you this. A, a part of labor, so we got like wages and salaries and how important that is to break out in your COGS and in your OPEX. But let me ask you this, what is labor burden? Well, labor burden is going to be, you know, your calculation of what is your percentage of your margin. And I think that's gonna be really important to understand because as you stated earlier, labor, I, I don't really, I mean, it doesn't go for every hard, industry, but specifically definitely service industries, you labor is your number one, number one, mm -hmm. absolute. So you have to understand what your labor costs are. Are they in alignment? You can certainly go out and check industry averages so that you understand if your burden is too high or too low, or if you're running, you know, on a good average basis, your industry there's a lot of different ways you can understand if you're in alignment with that, but it is definitely an important one to understand and be on top of. Yeah. And I think, so with labor burden, all the things like the employers, they match Medicare and social security. So that's the tax that they pick up. So there's that piece, there's health insurance, there's paid time off. There's other, there are other items that go into labor burden. And I, and I would even argue for a lot of companies, workers comp is a labor burden item because you're, you're paying workers comp insurance on your employees. And in fact, when they audit you, they're auditing you based on a multiple of payroll. So they already understand that workers comp is a function of payroll. Now there's some workers comp related to G&A staff, like the office staff, then that needs to be broken out separately. But there's these items that are in labor burden that need to be accounted for separately. What I see sometimes is companies, they'll just have like the, the actual payroll processing fee, which is labor mm -hmm. burden because it's associated with payroll. They'll have that. They'll have the payroll taxes. They'll have these other items and they're just like scattered throughout the P&L and they're not lumped together in a category called labor burden and they're not directly associated with those wages. And I think it's really important to tie those things together because like you mentioned, it is a percentage of labor. And what I've seen is companies that really skimp out on their labor burden, they maybe they don't offer a lot of benefits to their employees. They could have labor burden around 15% of their payroll. Other companies, if they offer a lot of benefits, I've seen labor burden as high as like 25, 30% of their payroll. But I think whatever it is, having that clear picture and being able to break out your labor burden on the PL is is really critical because then you understand like 
above and beyond what you're paying an employee, this is what it costs. Because if you're just looking, hey, I pay this person 10 bucks an hour, well, add another 25% on for labor burden, you're actually at 1250. You're not at 10 bucks an hour. So it, right. you could be understating your labor costs, especially if you're bidding it out or you're including that in your pricing model, if you're not looking at the right number, which includes both the wages and salaries and the labor burden part of the total cost. Totally. Well, and it's such a misstep to, to just look at a wage and say, this new employee we're thinking about adding is only going to cost us, you know, it's 60,000. When, when you mm -hmm. add all the labor burden, it's actually quite a bit more than that. And I think it, for owners, it's also an interesting factor to understand from the perspective of what's right for us, because we are in an interesting time where there are a lot of remote options. And I, I'm not talking about the hated remote employee situation. <laughs> I'm talking mm -hmm. about, you know, like in a scenario like us, we, we present as a contractor to our clients, meaning we are not their employee. And what's really incredibly powerful to understand from a budgeting perspective, because, you know, one or the other might be better for your uh, business. But if you understand the total cost of an employee versus maybe an outsourced option, then you're looking at it apples to apples. But often, you know, we'll see, oh, it's it's this cost for an employee and the contractor is inevitably typically down to an hourly rate, a higher rate, because often you're only getting the hours you exactly need versus having a part-time or full-time employee that maybe the task they're hired for does not take that full time. So then you're adding on other things to kind of fill that time. And it's very important when you're making those choices to ensure that you include the labor burden, because when you do bring on an employee, as we know, there's other things that are going to come with it. Those taxes, benefits, as you said, workers comp, all of that. And if you're, if you're actually under that on the contractor and you are getting what you need from them only the time that you need and not more. And you're not having to then train them. You're not having to say, oh, I have 10 hours to fill and I'm paying for it. What else are we going to add to you? You know, that's incredibly powerful and can really affect your bottom line if you're doing the formulation correctly. And that's the whole idea of, of the gig economy where, you know, you're hiring maybe 1099 contractors or you're using outsourcing services to be more efficient in your business. And I agree with you because, you know, if you look at it and to say, Hey, I need somebody to do accounting, handle all my accounting. I'm a small business and so I'm going to go outsource it. And then you look and you get a quote and you're like, wow, it's $5,000 a month. That's crazy. You know, like I can go and hire somebody for $4,000 a month and, you know, just have it in house. And it's like, okay, well, what you're not realizing is number one, it's $4,000 plus the labor burden. So let's just say it's 20% labor burden, 4,000 marked up 20% to cover the labor burden. Now you're paying 4,800 a month. So you're almost break even with the 5,000. In addition, you need to provide an office for that employee typically, or a laptop or other things in order for them to work. And those add costs. And then next thing you know, you're like, wow, you know, my costs are actually a lot higher. And I think that's where companies can really be smart in their cost structure and have this flexible cost structure to allow them to grow intelligently. And I've done that a lot just, you know, because you can hire in a full-time marketing person or you can outsource certain functions of that and get the same needs, but at a, a lower cost. And I think that's really important and a, and a great point to bring up. 
yeah, incredibly powerful to make sure that you have both, you know, on an apples to apples comparison to see what works for you. Yeah, I agree. So at the beginning of the episode, we talked about understanding the story behind the numbers. So what opportunities do you see that exist for users of financial statements and what are they missing and and what can be improved in relation to like really understanding the story behind financials? Gosh, I think I would go really high level with this. And the biggest opportunity that I see is don't be afraid of the numbers. Don't be afraid if, you know, finance or accounting is not your background. It does not mean that you cannot really dig in and understand what's going on and make smart decisions, or even that you have to outsource that help. You certainly can, especially to get it all set up for you. But I think that what I see in my industry is it's much more mental than it is really actually, you know, an analytical issue. And so I just, I constantly am trying to help people understand, you know, if, if you kind of take away the fear of this or that it's something you don't know, it's not your skill, you know, you can get it figured out. There are so many tools um, out there and people, you know, that will help in a very short amount of time to just use the benefits that you have available to you. And there's many, many, many sources locally to you or online that do even free assistance, you know, the small business development center, there's many, many ways that you can get a better handle on what your story is than letting that story control you. Yeah. Because the key here is it's like, leave the accounting to the professionals. That's what I say. It's like, you don't need to be this like debits and credits person and, you know, maintaining your general ledger and like producing financial statements. But if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business or P&L owner, if you are a manager or maybe you're just up an up and coming employee, like you need to be able to speak the language of money, not just professionally, but also on a personal level, because if not, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So when it comes to this, like you don't need to be able to explain like the nitty gritty, but you do need to be able to look at an income statement and say, wow, like our gross margin has dropped you know, by 20% over the last quarter. Okay, here are three things I could go do. I could go look at my pricing. Okay, maybe if I fix my pricing, that will lower my cost of goods sold. I can look at my efficiency. Let me pinpoint it. Oh, it's our labor. Do some labor utilization and labor efficiency ratios. And then you can really dive into, okay, are we overstaffed? Are we understaffed? Do we have the wrong tools? Do we need different equipment? Whatever it may be, but to be able to look at the financials and then go act, that's what I want to emphasize here in this episode. In in order to get there, you have to have your financials structured in the right way. Otherwise, you're going to be wasting a lot of time diving into the details, which takes me to my next point is that sometimes I have seen like super dirty financials, like, oh my gosh, I can't even look at them. They're just like so ugly. You know, they have like 150 line items. They're tracking things that are like so immaterial. It's like, why are you tracking that? You're like tracking postage and it's like, $30 a year and you have a line item on your P&L and it's just like so messy, so dirty, like all over the place. It's not consistent. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this makes me want to throw up. So how can people avoid getting lost in the details of the numbers and focus on what's most essential? Yes. uh, I do love, you know, ending with this because what I would say Uh is 
I always tell clients there's tax books and then there's financials for analytics. And I think where you want to be is, you know, somewhere in the middle. You don't want to get so in the details and in the weeds that it no longer makes any sense, like you were saying. But I do think if you're, you know, if you're only truncating for the tax categories, you're not going to get enough analytics either. So the sweet spot that there's a lot of discussion around in our industry, if you're a smaller business, you you kind of hit the nail on the head. If it's anywhere from, you know, a thousand to 2000 to even if you're a larger, getting into a larger size, maybe $5,000 a year, then you might want to split that cost out just to see, you know, if it's changing or if it's stagnant. And if it's less than that, you want to put it into a general category, you know, that is the appropriate category, whether it's, you know, office expenses or whatnot. And then you do want to watch trend lines over time on those smaller categories that are together. So if you do have a change, you can identify what that change is within it. But that's a good rule of thumb. Uh, anywhere from a thousand to five thousand dollars. You know, if you're smaller, go with the lower number. If you're, you know, a larger to medium business, maybe five thousand dollars a year. Maybe have a separate line item for it. But otherwise, there's a lot of things that go on that you can have in an office expense type line item, so that you keep from having those hundred and fifty lines to look at. Yeah, and I agree, and and that's and I think that's smart, and I think it's so critical to not get lost in the details because I've seen a lot of people fail their management responsibilities in this area because here they are so focused on something they may be looking at office supplies and you know they're they're looking at it and saying wow you know we were three hundred dollars over budget I don't get it I need to see the detail they're trying to dive into the detail of it and I'm like at the same time you're bleeding over here when it comes to labor. Like your labor is so mismanaged, but you're like so focused on this $300 item. At the same time, you're losing thousands of dollars a day with your labor being like mismanaged. So like don't get lost in the details, but also you have to know the details in order to be efficient, but just spend your time and focus your efforts on what's most material. And if you look at a P&L and if you put it in, if you common size the, the P&L, meaning you just take, take your P&L, take your income statement, divide each of the rows by revenue, and then you'll get a percentage of revenue for each of the line items. And then you can sort it and look at the biggest line items on your P&L. And then that could be your area of focus. And you have to ask yourself, like I said earlier, you may look at materials and say, hey, look, we're already efficient. We got great relationships with suppliers. We don't waste, not a lot of upside here. But down here in our contractor line item, huge opportunities for improvement. We can onboard, we could train, we can change agreements, we could contract differently, whatever it is. But that's how you're going to really understand the story behind the numbers and, and really leverage the financials to your, your benefit. And so hopefully we provided value for the, the listeners today. I, I think we talked a lot about some very important things. And this topic is like so critical, as you can tell, I get like super passionate about it because if you can understand the story behind the numbers, like everything changes, everything changes. Yeah, it is so important. And I'm just grateful to be able to help get the word out. So thank you. Yeah, I I loved having you on the show. It was a great conversation. And for everybody who joined, thanks again for joining. 
And if you're not a member of the Booster and Financial IQ community, definitely check that out. It's a great resource for you to get the support that you need as you're traveling down this financial literacy journey. But, you know, I, I'm definitely grateful for uh, excellent guests like Tevia and like what she's doing in her business is like exactly what we talk about on the show as far as helping people understand the story behind the numbers by like presenting the information in the right way and providing the services that they need to be successful in their businesses. So thanks again for being on the show. Everybody in the meantime, take care of yourself. Hey, real quick. If you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at BYFIQ.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing. If you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit BYFIQ.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again. Hey, real quick, if you get value out of this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you would leave us a review. Also, if you want to be featured on the show, send me a recording with your name, your age, where you're from, and your question through a voice note or a video using your smartphone. Then email me the file at hello at byfiq.com. BYFIQ stands for boosting your financial IQ. So once again, it's hello at byfiq.com. If selected, I'll give you a shout out and answer your question for you and the entire community. One last thing. If you want access to additional resources that will help you fast track your path to financial freedom, visit byfiq.com or download our free app in the Apple or Google Play app store today. Thanks again.